We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Welcome to the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. Sam, the Phoenix Suns are 1-0 and against the Los Angeles Lakers. Yes, How sir. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. What can I say? Like, job ain't done. Got a long way to go in this series. We're going to talk to a couple guys from um, the uh, Lakers podcast about adjustments and, and whatever later in this episode. They're going to have to make a lot of adjustments. But just from a Suns perspective fucking awesome game one uh, yes. just totally amazing totally validating in so many ways if you're a Suns fan I'm excited to talk about it yeah I think one of the nicest things about it is the Suns really did play their game in this game they did not try to change anything that they were good at or anything that they did well they didn't change their lineups right they played relatively normal lineups they did a stagger uh, I don't think there was a single minute without either Devin Booker or Chris Paul on the floor. Devin Booker played a lot of minutes. And something that I thought was especially amazing is we talked about it. The Suns need everyone to play at their absolute best in order to win this series. But in this game, that did not happen. What we saw is Devin Booker absolutely ascending and being the best player on the floor in a game with LeBron James. And then mm-hmm. DeAndre Ayton doing I mean, we talked about it in our video. He needs to be that X factor. He did everything mm-hmm. that the Suns needed in order for them to win this game. So the fact that the Suns came out in this game, they were not at their best. Cameron Payne, not his best. Chris Paul, injured. Like, he doesn't look fully healthy yet. We're going to have to talk about that at some point. Big storyline, big storyline. But story they line. still yeah. found a way to win this game, and that's remarkable. I mean, we we called, first of all, go watch the DeAndre Ayton X Factor video on our YouTube channel. Subscribe to the channel if you already haven't. There's the plug. 
we said all that you know i have to do it we said all that in the video and like i didn't expect this no neither of us expected this i hope eight offensive it, yeah. eight offensive rebounds from deandre ayton in his playoff debut uh totally shutting down anthony davis they didn't match up on each other the entire game but anthony davis eventually it was exactly what you said actually you played andre drummond off the floor eventually and they closed with davis at the five but just couldn't generate any offense an amazing game and and really what, what i want to say it's a throwback to bubble basketball is what it is when you talk about not having to rely on chris paul to win this series you're gonna have to get chris yeah. paul back he's gonna have to be like a solid 85 90 percent of himself so that's a huge storyline hopefully you know we're waiting on updates um but in the meantime devin booker ascending to that true number one superstar for this game deandre Ayton being being the the lead guy behind him felt like bubble basketball and and it was yeah. very validating for suns fans to see their future coalesce um in, in such a nice way tonight you know cam johnson part of that future too obviously he had a solid game mikhail mm -hmm. bridges played 41 minutes missed a couple of bunnies uh underneath the rim that he usually hits but otherwise a really good game from him too i mean he was he was a primary defender on lebron the entire time logged more minutes than lebron in this game yeah. so all around man it's it's uh yeah great great game great game yeah a really i mean even <laughs> even the Dario Saric minutes as as we're great you know, if, if, I, well we're if okay. you look at the if you look at the plus <laughs> minus it's a minus six but that's really there was just one or minus seven there was just one burst from the Lakers that just just happened while Saric was on the floor and if that happens that happens like that's you can't judge an entire performance based on that outside of that I thought that the Suns maintained what they were doing properly in those minutes and Saric did not feel like a negative on the floor in any way how about by the way I mean, if there was a way to bet on the on the idea of Etwan Moore playing Game One playoff minutes, <laughs> I don't think anyone could have predicted that. Hey, uh, he held up. Uh, he held up adequately for those couple of minutes. It was a really scary situation. Here's what we should say, Mike. First of all, you were at the game. Talk yeah. about your experience. Yeah. What was it like at the game? What was that moment like when Chris Paul went down initially, too? Um. Well, yeah. Um. I was despondent. I was in a bad place when that happened. I I was in I was in a total funk for like the next five minutes, and and they maintained yeah. the lead during and those you know more what? minutes. Yeah, the Suns were at, at first in a funk too. You could tell I, there was just a little bit of sloppy play from Cameron Payne and Devin Booker after that. But uh, first of all, I want to give a shout out to Suns fans because the energy was incredible, absolutely incredible. There was a time how was um they really opened how was, it up. <laughs> How is the Suns fan to Laker fan ratio? I'm curious Great. about that. I would guess really? it's like 90% Suns fans. That's which, that's amazing. And that's look, really I've good. Been to, I've been to Sun, probably 20 Suns-Lakers, 30 maybe Suns-Lakers games in my life, and I would say this was the best ratio for Suns fans to Lakers fans uh, yeah. that I have ever seen. And look, I went to a game earlier this season. I went to the Lakers-Suns game earlier this season. It was better in this game. But the crowd was into it, and I think people. I saw people online, non-Suns fans, reacting to the crowd and how amazing it was and i think uh two things are happening with that i think there's a lot of younger people that don't remember that suns fans can be like this that suns fans are this into basketball when the suns are good and two i think what a lot of people forgot is suns fans hate the lakers <laughs> like they really hate the lakers so there was the energy that comes with a normal like game one first round playoff series but add on top of that first time in 11 years 10 seasons passed and the absolute hatred that Suns fans have for the Los Angeles Lakers and I think that added up to an absolutely electric crowd the moment Chris Paul went down though uh, it's terrifying and look he needs to be healthy 
I mean, that's really what it is. In order for the Suns to win the series, he needs to be healthy. The Suns won this game by running plays that got the ball out of Chris Paul's hands over and over and over yeah. again. And that's and in just the, not, you can't maintain that. You can't. In the second half, he bobbled the ball just in, in half-court offense even, not necessarily when he was facing intense ball pressure. He bobbled the ball more often than he did you know, the past five years combined in yeah. one half. It, it, it felt yeah. like, honestly. So, yeah, he needs to get right for the next two days. I don't know what they were doing back there with him in the locker room, giving him yeah. some of some of his Chris's secret stuff, yeah. which, I don't know, maybe <laughs> probably some sort of anti-inflammatory or pain medication. I have no idea. But, um, yeah, I, I, like, luckily you were able to eke out the win without him and without campaign for that last quarter and a half, too. Um, but, yeah, he needs to get right for game two. Yeah, one thing I can guarantee is they're not going to tell us what his injury is. <laughs> oh, no doubt. <laughs> they just don't, and I don't do bl- that. I don't, they, they shouldn't, honestly, in this situation. They now. shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. I'm okay with living. I Look, it's annoying from the fan experience or, or in our shoes, like, you know, if you're covering the team or whatever on a week-to-week basis throughout a regular season. Um, but here with the whole competitive advantage component thrown into it, yeah, just leave us in the dark for a couple days. It's okay. Yeah. I'll worry about it. I'll struggle sleeping. But uh, come Tuesday night, you know. We want Monty to have that advantage. If if campaign has to start, so be it. You know, this Lakers team, obviously, I, I, I want to make this very clear. Last year, the Suns are not the Blazers, but last year when the Lakers played the Blazers in, in the first round, they lost game one. They won the series in five. So nothing that we say today, I think, on, on yeah. our initial reaction never pod is high, to be taken. Never too low is to be taken out of context you know we're not gonna say like i, I was having fun on twitter I'm, I'm i'm not even gonna lie you gotta have that's some fun on for. twitter yeah. that's what it's for i was saying you know anthony davis you know he only has a disney ring maybe if he had a real <laughs> ring he would have done a little bit better today you know you gotta talk your shit on twitter but i don't bring it to the pod on the pod i'm serious because anthony davis will bounce back yeah frank vogel is a coach who classically historically this is what lakers fans complain about all the time it's like he doesn't game plan for the initial moment, but then when he has to make those adjustments at the last second, he does. So he'll come with the adjustments eventually. They'll come next game. Obviously, he wasn't prepared today. You can't say in any way, shape, or form that Frank Vogel did a good job across the aisle for Monty Williams today. But the adjustments will come in game two. So it's going to continue to be a challenge. Uh, we need to keep our heads up. At the same time, the Lakers definitely look vulnerable, I think, in a lot of the ways that they said they would. Right. I mean, they had nobody to really to guard Devin Booker. In this game, they they threw a lot of guys at him. KCP, Caruso, West Caruso Matthews. did, Caruso did pretty well. Devin made difficult shots. He he made difficult shots. I mean, there there were just times where Caruso just couldn't stay in front of him. Hundred you know, percent. Like Devin Booker was just getting on the other side of him pretty yep. easily. And, and what they did, I thought, was with the play I was talking about. At at one point when they sort of just were aware of the fact that uh, Chris Paul was not quite him right. And what and Sharks was actually in the game at this point. I believe it was late in the third quarter, maybe early in the fourth quarter. And what they did, and this is where Devin Booker took over, is Chris Paul spotted up on the left wing, pretty far out, gave the ball to Sarch in the middle of the floor, and uh, Devin Booker would just cut around Sarch, caught the ball on the run from uh, like right beneath the three point line, and just kind of did some work from around the mid range area and under the mm-hmm. rim. And they did that over and over and over and over again. And it just continued to work because the Lakers just did not have the, the right personnel to adjust from that. Now, assuming Chris Paul is no longer healthy, I expect an adjustment, and we'll talk to our friends about this later on, but I expect more ball pressure on Chris Paul, for one. I imagine they're going to put Caruso on Chris Paul, and he's going to harass him if he can't. I mean, he could barely dribble with his right arm at points in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I expect that. 
and um, I expect more help. And, and look, if they do throw more help at Devin Booker, guys have to make shots, and that's that's just where what's going to happen at some point. I but, was. I was honestly kind of shocked because I think it was like the first play of the game. Booker's in the corner. Chris Paul's dribbling and, and Booker curls around a screen and, and they threw like instant help. Like I think it was LeBron in the helper role. I can't I can't remember exactly. It was one of the first plays of the game though. The Lakers immediately trapped Booker yeah. off ball. And I was like, wow, are, are they going to do this all game? After Chris Paul got hurt, I saw less help. And yeah. and so I was definite. I I was confused about what their strategy was well, in, I, in general if it was just poor execution in the second half. Well, but... I thought what the Suns did in that case, which I thought was really smart, is they really spread the floor. I mean, guys were real deep in the corner, and Chris Paul was a foot or two behind the three-point line on that left wing. Yeah. And what they did in that case is the help had to come off of Saric, essentially. And they just don't want that, right? They, they don't want that extra man to be a big man on Devin Booker because Devin Booker will take advantage of that. So I thought the way that they spread the floor in that, specific, in those, in that run... Like the run were right. really, I felt like the Suns kind of took over the game and it felt like there was no answer for Devin Booker. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I thought that was a smart adjustment by them. I want to ask you something. Uh, the, the starting lineup all played a lot. Like Devin Booker yeah. played 45. By the way, more than I expected. I expected Devin Booker to be in the in the high 30s. Uh, obviously, there was extenuating circumstances with Chris Paul and and Cameron Payne not quite being first of all they ejected, ejected Cameron Payne for from my vantage point almost nothing <laughs> I'm not really sure why he was ejected that's not yeah, a playoff so ejection by the way it's not a playoff ejection it was bullshit it's not a playoff ejection yeah. technically what they're saying is that you know well you probably know this but there were like he, he two threw incidents. the ball at him him throwing the ball him committing like what was a hard foul that ended the play or I guess it was technically after the whistle and then throwing the ball they're two separate incidents therefore each one warrants weak. a tech weak, weak very weak I can very tell weak. you uh, there very are uh, a few players on the Lakers that would not have been ejected for that reason I'll just say that well, and not to mention Montrez Harrell's shove on Payne yeah. after he's, that he's was harder. Yeah, was harder. And but because it's only one shove, it's only one tech. Apparently, I, I just don't, don't it, understand but. how you get you get shoved essentially by Caruso, and he barely tossed the ball in him. Are you just supposed to be a robot and not react to that at all? It's just ridiculous. But anyway, on to my question: the Stars played a lot. You know, mm-hmm. forty-five minutes for Devin Booker. Even Chris Paul throughout what happened, thirty-six minutes, thirty-seven for DeAndre Ayton. By the way, that's what's needed. Uh, if he can get up to thirty-nine minutes, that's even better. Mikael Bridges, to me, was the 41. most obvious guy that was going to play the most this series. Right now, he's not 100%. in the lead, but forty-one minutes, twenty-nine for Jay Crowder, and then you essentially have a three-man rotation off the bench: Saric, Johnson, and Payne. This was the uh, our friend that we're talking to later, Tim Cranjus McBasketball on Twitter. Asked me what I expected the Suns lineup to be. That was the eight guys I told them. The starters plus Cam, Cam, and Saric. Mm-hmm. But part of me was, once we got closer and closer to game, I was like, man, did I really underrate how much Torrey Craig was going to play? In this game, no. Like, Craig well, played three minutes. Not much yeah. happened. And it looked like he was not going to be able to handle LeBron in those minutes for the record. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so what do you? How do you think? What do you think about that? So if you had asked me to place where I think Craig's minutes, like I would have guessed ten minutes a game for the series, I think he could still get up to that point though because we haven't seen DeAndre Ayton three fouls in thirty-seven minutes. That's beautiful. It's not going to be like that every game. It's not. Um, so they're going to have to get creative in some of those situations. I guess maybe the first guy they go to in those situations is you see some Kaminsky or you just see a lot more charge, but I think you could also see some Craig. I think they're avoiding Craig, especially if they feel confident in Cam Johnson's jumper, which it looked good today because Craig's just not a spacing threat. He's just not at all. And you were just talking about the importance of spacing the floor in this game. 
Look, the Suns did not even shoot well in this game. They mm-hmm. shot 32% from deep. That bodes really well. Jay Crowder shot 0 for 7. Yeah. Um, so I think that's another thing that bodes really well for them for the rest of the series. But they need to be like at least an average shooting team throughout the series to win. Because the Lakers are also going to shoot like they shot 25% from deep. They're not a good shooting team, but they're going to get better in, in, in ensuing games as well. Um, so for a guy like Craig to be out there, you know, he shot pretty well in the minutes he's played with Phoenix in the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. But typically speaking, that's just not his role. If it looks obvious that he can't, check ad at the four then they're just not going to play him and i don't mind that yeah yeah i i I anticipate that he's going to continue to not play unless there's guys in foul trouble that's what i expect because look we we said it time and time again cameron johnson's a good defender he plays good defense and if he continues to shoot he's you know two for five from three in this game and looked pretty good uh just had a little bit of bounce off that dribble two steals i mean he had a pretty good game cameron johnson came in and, and played relatively well uh, matched a lot of minutes with Saric from what I noticed. And, uh, you know, Saric only played 11. That That's the advantage, right, of DeAndre Ayton being capable of playing 37 minutes in this game is if you can just hold, if you can maintain with Dario Saric for 11 minutes, you can play pretty well. Like the Suns can actually do relatively well in, in those the, minutes. Both teams have their own problem with maintaining but for the Suns, it's can we maintain 11 or 12 Dario Sharge minutes. For the Lakers, it's can we maintain any semblance of an offense for 12 non-LeBron minutes. I would say they have the much bigger problem <laughs> yeah, from a roster construction standpoint, honestly. And, and, and this is where I talk about, you know, LeBron looked a little bit timid in his offense today. But it wasn't his fault. He was a plus two in the minutes that he played. Anthony Davis was a minus 18. And they mostly played together. So mm-hmm. what does that mean, Mike? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it means that... Anthony Davis, he's going to have better offensive performances. It's not always going to be like this. He couldn't get his mid-range shot falling at all today. He didn't hit a single three. He'll have games where he gets to the free throw line eight or ten times. It's going to get better than this. But generally speaking, it's just really obvious when you look at that roster. I said this a few days ago that they do not have the pull-up shooters. They do not have the guys who can really stress your defense in a dynamic way like that. Certainly, you know, Alex Caruso is not going to do it. Schroeder was solid today, but only took seven shots in 34 minutes. He's not, he's, he can score, but he's not a high volume score either. That will continue to be an issue for the Lakers throughout this series. It's just, do they have the raw talent outside of LeBron to put enough stress yeah. on the Suns in those non-LeBron minutes? Because, I, and I tweeted this out, and, and this is the exact point that I'll make again here. If you narrowly lose 36 minutes a game of LeBron, but you blow them out in the other 12 minutes just consistently because your lineups are always that good compared to theirs, that's probably a series win. Like yeah. That probably turns into a series win for you overall. Yeah, I think that's right. And uh, look, Anthony Davis, 5 for 16 from the field. Uh, that's like uncharacteristically bad shooting night from him, you know, closer to what he did in the regular season than what he did in the playoffs last year. That's for sure. But I, you can expect that to get better. What I thought was interesting is uh, his defense looked not right. Like he was a yeah. step slow on defense. Look, it looked even better when the Suns played the Lakers a few weeks ago. And, and I think the Suns found ways to attack Anthony Davis that looked pretty good and if we're talking about guys who don't look right LeBron James who finished the game with 18 points and five turnovers still somehow had 10 assists of course it's LeBron uh only shot 13 times like that's not quite what you can expect about from LeBron James and I think the reason that was the case I from from my memory I can only think of one time where he really drove through a guy and finished through contact at the rim yes. and it was Dario Saric Yes, you know, they so targeted Sharich a couple of times, but but the other thing about that, Mike, 13 field goal attempts, seven of them from deep. Yes. 
And he they started were taking, the game like that too. You know, like they it, they took exactly the shots that we wanted them to take. If the Lakers can miraculously beat you based on their pull-up shooting and even spot-up shooting, they're a bad shooting team. We have an entire year's worth of data. Last year, they were a bad shooting team too. If they beat you on jump shots, okay. It was an outlier series. I mean, it, it would suck to go home, but like the point is they're probably not going to beat you on jump shots if you yeah. force them into jump shots. It's yeah. just not their game. So to see that, Anthony Davis couldn't get any, anything going, but also LeBron, over 50% of his shot volume was was you know outside of the restricted area. Amazing. Again, uh, just amazing. Yeah, it's interesting too with the with the Suns what they did um just like we talked about like you said uh is tried to play Drummond off the floor and you know Drummond plus minus doesn't matter minus four so like if you look at the Drummond minutes we, the Suns didn't get murdered I mean the Lakers didn't get murdered in those minutes necessarily it's not something that stands out but it did seem like the Suns or they could not be guarded when Drummond was on the floor like that was consistently a pretty good scenario for the Suns, I'm interested to see what Tim says because I, I tend to wonder if the Lakers are going to be, how willing are they going to be uh, to go to that Anthony Davis at center lineup, which they did in this game, and still not quite right. I think players till, still tend to underestimate how strong DeAndre Ayton is because of how, <laughs> because of how he plays sometimes. Uh, and, and I think Anthony Davis was not quite prepared for just how well DeAndre Ayton is at holding his ground on guys who are backing into him. Uh, yeah. So I wonder how willing they're going to be to go to those lineups. Because in, in a way, I kind of liked Mikael Bridges on LeBron James in this game. And I wonder if that happens, if they start to just put Jay Crowder. It seemed like even in those minutes, they still had Mikael on LeBron and he did a really good job. I think it's really interesting that this is sort of a role reversal from what we're used to with some LeBron teams of, you know, if he can only play 36 minutes now, they had a 10-man rotation. If you include, se- you know, seven minutes from THT, which I'm ca- counting as enough to factor into a 10-man rotation. Seven minutes, he didn't play not, uh, much. But where they go with their rotation from here, I honestly don't know. Wes Matthews is another guy who only played 12 minutes. I expected more of him, maybe less of mm. KCP, honestly, to, to beef up the perimeter defense a little bit. He didn't hit any shots. But... Yeah, I, did, I, I don't know, man. All sorts of weird things here. Kuzma played 19 minutes, didn't hit a single shot. It's just where are they where are they generating offense from? Drummond yeah. got his Drummond got his seven offensive rebounds, but it's like okay, the one reason you're there, it's it's kind of fascinating actually because Drummond and Aiton, Aiton had a much better game, like by far by spades. But they do kind of have the same sort of problem. I think generally is fair to say where they're terrific offensive rebounds. They're solid defensive rebound. They they fall asleep right. on defensive rebounding sometimes. Sometimes yeah. you know with Aiton, a lot of it I think sometimes is the Suns are playing too small outside of him, so he has to come out. He has to contest a shot, and the Suns lose an offensive rebound because it's just no one else can grab it. However, he has mental lapses too, where they they both kind of fall asleep. For Drummond, it's like the only reason you're out there is to give this team the size advantage on offensive rebounds. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you are literally useless. Get off the He's floor. Not you're not get the ball. Otherwise. You're literally useless. You are useless. Otherwise, you're not doing anything for us. No, seriously. Yeah. You so so you're here. You played 19 minutes because I want you to give us the offensive rebounding advantage. Well, yeah. Lakers had 10 offensive rebounds. Suns had 16. Yeah, <laughs> which right there is is you know enough of a excuse for me if I'm Frank Vogel to to like let the guy see one stint next game. Play him for six minutes, and if it's not working, just get the mm-hmm. fuck off the floor and let's let's run yeah. Davis at the five. Is what I would do personally. Yeah. But again. I'm curious to see what what Tim says because because I think that will be uh, good analysis about it. Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested. Tim like, and Tom, for the record, we're going to talk to both of them. Yeah, uh, he had seven offensive rebounds and seven field goal attempts. 
Uh, <laughs> that doesn't feel like much of a coincidence there. Um, Chris Paul, before we take a break here, I want to talk about Chris Paul because, look, what what happens? What happens if Chris Paul is not fully healthy? I mean, we have to have that conversation because he came back twice. I mean, if you really think about it, he went down, grabbed at his, I don't know, shoulder, neck area. It was, it was tough for me to see where I was. Some people seem to be implying that it was um, a neck problem. The official thing that they announced was a shoulder contusion, which does not sound as bad. It's a bruise, essentially. Um, maybe a stinger. I don't know. Maybe some sort of strained muscle. It's it's yeah, hard to really tell. say at this point. So, you know, the, the question is, uh, will he be healthy? How healthy will he be? Or will well, he play? I mean, there's a chance that he he'll does play. not play in the next he'll game. He'll play. Look, there's a chance that he doesn't play, but knowing Chris Paul, if he could play today, he'll play in the other games. They'll They'll do everything they can to manage his pain tolerance, and he'll play. He might only be 60% of what he is. Like, if he continues to play at the level he did today, well... <laughs> Yeah, then you're kind of in trouble. Like you're get you could get 20 minutes out of him, but it's like what level are you really yeah, playing at in those he's 20 minutes? Rondo. The slight, but yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> kind of insulting. Rondo. That's kind of it's kind of insulting to Rondo that you say Chris Paul with with one arm <laughs> is is especially true, play, playoff Rondo is pretty good, dude. He's regular season Rondo. Like reg, he's regular season Rondo. Like when that season trying. on on the Mavs when he wasn't trying. No, he's, I still think he's better than that. <laughs> Because he um, still has the brain, right? The brain doesn't. He go does away. have the brain. Well, and that's why I said Chris Paul's gonna play. He's gonna provide some tangible value, maybe a little bit intangible, I guess you could say, and that it would be harder to see just through the leadership. He'll still run the sets. He can still kind of make those passes, maybe not to the full extent. Um, the the worry to me, and I don't want to read too much into it because he only played 13 minutes and then got ejected, obviously. But campaign when he came out, maybe it was just because he he was coming out and and Paul had just gone to the locker room and he was like oh shit i don't know like am i the guy now but he didn't look confident uh at least in those first half minutes he yeah. he, he didn't look confident it was like you know the lakers weren't doing anything to take away your game you just got to play the way like exactly those right. adjust those adjustments will come yeah but this game you just had to play phoenix suns basketball as we know it and he didn't he didn't look very comfortable i i assume you know just some uh you know he had, he doesn't have a lot of playoff experience either so just some jitters but he needs to be good in this series too he really does I uh, I don't give a lot of gambling tips on this podcast. Um, the ones I have given have been right. He- here's what I'll say. <laughs> Cameron Payne, if his over-under for points is 13, 14 points around there in the next game, I'd bet that over. I'd absolutely bet that over. Because what I saw You're today, gonna le- yeah. uh, well, I didn't see them taking away his game exactly as you said. What I saw was him pulling his shots a little short uh, or him being afraid to shoot when he was open. What he can do against this team is still, he can be pretty good. And I would expect after that game being ejected and and also just not really playing well before that because what happens, right? You don't play well at the beginning of the game. We've seen this with Cameron Payne before and then you explode for 10 points uh, at the beginning of the fourth quarter while Chris Paul sits. Like we've seen that happen with Cameron Payne, but in this game, he did not have that opportunity. He didn't mm-hmm. have the ability to redeem himself in this game. So for a guy like him, who actually has played in the playoffs before, you know, you're talking about inexperience. He didn't play much, but technically he has been in the playoffs before. I expect him to come out in the next game. And if that over underline is around 13 points, I bet over, I'm guessing he's going to have closer to 17, 18 points. And I could just see him. I just don't think they really have the right personnel. They don't have any speedy guys that are bigs that can keep up with him because Anthony Davis is supposed to be that guy. And from what I'm seeing, 
he's not quite that guy right now <laughs> well he's he's i think he's not quite that guy he wasn't quite that guy helping he really struggled in a pick and roll help um role today but but just as he can contest Cam's shot i think some of the shots that Cam was missing today he, he was afraid to go at davis and i think he would be less afraid to go at drummond by the way you know another thing to ask like is marcus all gonna play ever yeah harold's not scaring me i mean he, he scored some points but he's not scaring me so yeah yeah all sorts of things with that front court who knows well, what's gonna I happen i'll tell you this as soon as harold came on on the court devin booker's eyes got really wide and he was calling for screens from whoever Harold was guarding the rest of that time, because mm-hmm. Harold's just not a good pick and roll defender. He's not, and he's you know relatively small for his position. So if you have Harold and Saric on each other, like that's not really a size advantage for the Lakers in any way. Saric doesn't lose that size battle, and that benefits the Suns as we've seen. It's going to take a lot for them to continue winning. Devin Booker was good in this game, but look, the Suns are still taking a lot of jump shots. They're still taking shots that can miss. Well, and yeah. in order for them to continue winning, they have to hit some difficult shots. But and that's why that's why I'm so encouraged by the fact that you're a jump shooting team that just won game one shooting 32% from yeah. downtown. And that's defense. We can, we can take that and really hold on to it. To your point, though, 28 free throws to 12. Um, I, I definitely, I was getting frustrated with the officiating. That is the only thing I'll say on the officiating. You know, you don't need to bitch about the officiating too much when you win. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but. There, there. That disparity is going to exist throughout the series. Every game, it's kind of going to be like this. So, yeah, that's right. Be ready for it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And look, there was some, there were some bad calls. I'm not going to, I'm not going to pretend like there weren't some. Bad yeah, calls. there. Look, there were a few ticky tack calls on the, going the other way too. But um, did we get a final tally on how many shots came from the restricted area for for both teams? Because mm-hmm. I know at at the half you were like. The Suns have taken more shots in the restricted yeah. area, and it was seventeen to zero. Yeah, yeah, which is crazy. Yes. Blew my mind. <laughs> it's completely insane. Uh, yeah. a, a team winning with that kind of free throw disparity is is completely insane. So I don't have that in front of me. I, I'm interested to see what that will be uh, once we're able to bring up those stats. But coming up, what we're going to do is we're going to talk to some guys that are on Blue Wire Network that cover the Lakers on a podcast called the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. We've had Tim on before. He also runs a B Ball Index uh, site. Very, very smart. Wrote the playbook for some NBA 2K games, so is very good at X's and O's. And what we're going to talk to him about is what he expects the Lakers' adjustments to be. And I think this is really, really important for Suns fans to understand because, look, they're going to adjust and then... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Suns are going to have an opportunity to adjust. What Monty is doing right now, what Willie Green is doing right now, 
is they're trying to anticipate those adjustments for the Lakers so that they don't have to uh, change the game plan in real time. They have to be prepared for what's coming. And that's what we're going to talk about with him. So we'll see what he talks about. And then we'll get to previewing the next game with them. Strap uh, into your seats. It's chess, not checkers time. Exactly. We'll be right back. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. All right, now we're going to switch over to our friends Tim Krangis and Tom Zayas with the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast, which is on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. This ran on both of our podcasts, uh, so it's kind of a group chat. Check it out. All right, guys, that was a very fun game. For us, I disagree. <laughs> I you, you had fun with that. Oh. Yeah, I imagine it was less fun uh, for you. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of uh, adjustments being made. But like, what was your guys' read on that game? I'd love to hear what you guys think. Uh, so we felt that the Lakers struggled both from a like performance shot making standpoint. They shot. 61% on free throws, 27% on threes. We're missing some shots they normally make, but also from a game plan side of things, didn't come out, you know, defending specific Phoenix actions that they should know they're going to see a lot of like Booker and Chris Paul ball screens, Booker off screen stuff that the most frequent plays and actions the Suns usually run were the ones they ran against the Lakers and the Lakers didn't they they ran more of a vanilla like this is a regular season defense game plan rather than making it tailored specific to the opponent so i mean we're we are we're certainly not pleased with that but we do think that they'll look to adjust um and specifically with pick and rolls because that's something that just throughout the game especially with chris paul being a little bit hampered with his own play he was able to continue having an impact as a playmaker because the lakers were constantly putting two guys on the ball and ball screens in what we call a soft or a catch edge where they weren't trapping and if they were to trap it would force the ball out quickly and it would be a different kind of rotation on the back end but they they had two guys close to the ball but not really being aggressive enough that that it really forced the Suns to make quick decisions. And instead the Suns were able to get like Aiton getting all the way downhill so he could catch at the rim or catch a lob instead of mm -hmm. catching at the free throw line. Um, right. And because he was able to get, get downhill, that collapses, you know, defenders from the corners and then they get wide open threes. So just that element of it where you let the, the Suns play with the pace in the, in ball screens that they wanted and you gave them a four, four V three advantage off ball, uh, and the time to like, you know, we have four wide receivers, three cornerbacks, somebody's going to be open unless you get a pass <laughs> rush coming and there was no pass rush, pass rush. So that piece of it is something that going into the series and now, especially now 
uh, we think the Lakers will look to change. Because just on the season as a whole, looking at some of the numbers I was able to get from Second Spectrum uh, through a source, the type of screen coverage the Lakers ran against Chris Paul and Devin Booker, of all the different types of coverages this year, have been the least effective against those two guys. So mm. even game one from the start, it was a losing game plan in that respect. So hopefully the Lakers look to adjust that moving forward because that's that's how you don't have DeAndre Aiden going 10 for 11 and you don't get such a high percentage of like open corner threes as the Suns right. did in this game. I mean, DeAndre Aiden shooting 10 for 11, he, he doesn't create his own offense really except for the occasional mm -hmm. post-up. So the only way that happens is through defensive breakdowns and, and guarding the pick and roll. Um, I, I don't want to speak for either of you guys, but what it sounds like to me, and, and you can just confirm or, or not confirm, this is all basically a coaching schematic conversation more so than you're upset with any particular player execution. Absolutely. I think both. Yeah. Oh, Tim, stop. No, I got to jump in here because you can't watch that game and say that those individual performances were up to par. And Anthony Davis came out after the game and said that they're not going to win a game, let alone a series with him playing that way. So, I mean, yes, you can be right there, Tim, but this is certainly, you know, about as bad as an Anthony Davis game as you're probably going to ever get in the playoff series. So you have to put that out there. You know, I generally thought the Suns were working harder to get rebounds. I got to give them credit to Aiton. 50-50 balls just across the board, uh, I thought, went to the Suns as well. So you can talk about specific game plans and both teams trying to kind of focus their, like, first punch, right? They're, like, trying to play their way and dictate the adjustment. But it's, like, not a great place to start from if you're a Lakers fan. But credit yeah, to the Suns, too. The, the reason I, I was saying yes with the, the the pick and rolls is like your big man, whether it's AD or DeAndre Aiden or not DeAndre, uh, Andre Drummond or me, your job is to contain. And they were containing there. We didn't see many ball screens where Booker or Chris Paul were getting downhill. They were attacking side to side to buy time and then just beat the coverage just with the, the right types of types of attacks. So it was, to me, it was more a coaching coverage decision thing than a performance within that coverage kind of thing. I wouldn't go into game two and say, we're going to do the same thing, just a little bit better, at least in that specific area right. of the game. I'm really curious what you guys thought about LeBron James in this specific game, because going into this game, I was concerned with the matchup of Mikael Bridges guarding LeBron James, obviously Mikael Bridges is an excellent wing defender and can do a lot, but also he's pretty skinny. Like he doesn't really quite have the strength to stay in front of guys like LeBron James. LeBron started this game, like immediately shot three or four threes in that first quarter appeared to be sort of maybe relying on that jump shot a little too much. The only time I was telling Sam this, the only time I even remember him really finishing through contact, the way that you expect LeBron James to finish through contact was on Sharich at one point in the third quarter, late in the third quarter, early in the fourth which is what you expect him to do if Sarge is on the floor, right? You got to attack that matchup as much as possible. In this game, I thought Mikhail did a pretty good job guarding LeBron James. But I also wonder if, like, in my opinion, I feel like that's because LeBron's not quite playing like LeBron. I wonder if you guys feel the same way watching that matchup so far. I think he got walked down in the post a couple times, too, where he just put him in the post and got a couple... Uh, at least kick out shots that the Lakers yeah, didn't make, passes. of course. And some but, good cuts. Yeah. There were some good cuts. I mean, no, I definitely don't think LeBron's 100% by any means, uh, but I thought he played well. I kind of think those shots at the beginning that you referenced were because they were going under, and, you know, he just wanted to stop that right away. And then once he makes one, 
Like I'm going to take another, like you guys are going to give me a little space here. Yeah. I'm, but I'm isn't that, that to go downhill? Like at some point, doesn't he do that in order to set up going downhill, which he didn't quite do in this game? Yeah. yeah. The goal there to beat that under coverage by taking those under control, you know, you're going underneath behind that screen. I'm just going to stop behind the screen, pop and shoot that three. The goal would be after you make enough of them, you force that defender to go over instead of under, which would unlock you then attacking downhill. But we, like you're saying, we didn't quite see that play out in that kind of way. And when LeBron is able to attack downhill, collapse that defense, kick it out to guys, that's when we see the Lakers at their best. That's how we see AD get involved. That's how we see Drummond and Trez finishing dump offs. And we see we saw some of that, but for the most part, it wasn't LeBron of, of last year and, and years prior where like you just can't keep him away from the rim. And I think that was that was a big issue for the Lakers. And part of that had to do with what Phoenix was doing from like an alignment standpoint where they were making sure to try to sag off a little bit, get into some of those driving lanes and having guys on the court like Anthony Davis, Dennis Schroeder, THT, Andre Drummond, Montrezl Harrell. Those aren't guys that have been hitting threes this year. So that gives the Suns Mm -hmm. a lot of options if they need to stop LeBron to to just sag off and live with them shooting threes. That's really interesting. Yeah, I'm, 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 what I'm wondering what you guys think about too is uh, in this game, the Lakers had no answer for Devin Booker. Like obviously it's Devin Booker's first playoff game and you're seeing sort of how he's being defended here. Um, I think that the Lakers obviously have one of the best defenses in the NBA this year. I wonder what you guys think the response will be, what the adjustments will be for Devin Booker because he was kind of getting to his spots uh, easier than even I anticipated in this specific game. So I wonder what you think those adjustments will be. I mean, the simplest adjustment is to, yeah, I talked on our pod about, he's going to start with KCP on him. Uh, KCP is a little too small. Alex Caruso is a very good defender, a little bit too small to bother those pull-ups uh, and those shots that Booker can get pretty well over guys. So you're going to see Wes Matthews enter the mm. picture and probably get more minutes. I good. wouldn't be surprised if you see Kyle <laughs> Kuzma. Uh, you know what I mean? Try and get some some size on him at least. Uh, but you know, I I think Wes, you know, can probably get into foul trouble on on Booker. But you know, Wes is still a good defender. Like I would like the West minutes on Booker, uh, not to stop him by any means. But I think Booker just made a lot of great contested shots to, uh, today. That's what uh, he shoots. It, yeah. So yeah, I mean, you get a you got to tip your cap, but continue to keep like make him make the those tough shots. Right. 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 You have to, I mean, look, you guys have an obvious advantage in star talent in a vacuum. The Suns don't get far. And, and we haven't even really talked about Chris Paul uh, and, and what his health situation is going to be for the rest of the series, but the Suns don't make it far. I think they do have a depth advantage, but they need their star players to hit difficult shots. Um, one thing that I'm sure you guys are getting a million questions on. <laughs> How can I phrase this? Where where are you guys on the Drummond's panic meter? And um, I say that a little <laughs> bit tongue in cheek because I do think he's he's the type of figure on NBA Twitter who gets a little bit more than he deserves. However, 19 minutes played tonight. Um, obviously, you close the game with Davis at the five. People are going to continue to bring up, you know, Gasol. Should Gasol be playing? You know, they'll they'll they've been saying that forever and they'll continue to say it. Um, how are you guys feeling about those center rotation minutes as of now? At least in this matchup, I don't feel awful about Gasol getting 15 to 20. There against the Warriors, I was a lot more worried. Against some other teams, I think he plays more, he plays less. This is a series where, on the offensive boards, he was clearly helpful tonight. He is a below-average finisher, 
and his shot quality has certainly gone up once LeBron and AD have been back. But uh, as long as he's not like, he's not like a super lob threat. He doesn't have a big catch radius on lobs. He's not spacing the floor. He has some passing ability, but the Lakers don't use him in a role that leverages that at all at this point in the season. So what he's able to provide offensively sometimes is it's, it makes us anxious at least compared, especially because it's compared to like 80 at the five or Marcus all who absolutely spaces the floor, either of those players at that center position out there in that spot suddenly makes everybody look like a better driver. It suddenly makes everybody look like a better cutter and it just changes the style of the team. And it's not that I think, I mean, I'll watch the, the film and have a better feel on this tomorrow or tonight, but at least from watching today, I don't think Drummond was the issue or a big issue. Um, he, for the most part was doing his job and he just happened to be the guy running that soft hedge, that catch hedge as the Suns were passing yeah. over it and getting lobs to eat. And then, and that's not really his fault. He did his job. So I see him continuing to be able to play. Uh, now, if the Lakers go into game two, feeling like their backs are against the wall and they just go out from the start with uh, 80 at the five, that could happen. But I do think Drummond will continue to get, um, some of those minutes and we as a pod the two of us have certainly been down on him and I know I've been down on him at different points in time but this is a series that he should be able to stay on the court for I just want to see him used in better screen coverages I think yeah that's that's really interesting I, I do wonder like how quickly the Lakers would be willing to go to AD at center like if it could happen as early as starting the next game with it Sam and I just really speculated that I think the most likely scenario is Drummond comes out in that first game and they, and they try it again and they see what happens. I think uh, that's probably smart too, especially because, I mean, the Suns' best option for that is Chris Paul. Chris Paul loves those drop bigs that are a little slow-footed. I mean, that's exactly that's right. what he likes to play against. So, mm-hmm. you know, if Chris Paul comes out and he's looking fully healthy and, and Drummond's in that position and Chris Paul's able to take advantage of him, maybe they'll pull the plug a little bit faster. But if Chris Paul yep. comes out and he's a little um, gimpy, I, I don't know really how to describe what he was. Look, it doesn't really worry me if you get hit in the shoulder and you struggle to make a few shots in a game. That's fine. But the fact that he was struggling to dribble with his right hand at, at moments in that game, uh, you know, coming from a Suns fan perspective, that's concerning. I, and I would expect, personally, if you're talking about Wes Matthews on Booker, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, Devin Booker has a history of absolutely murdering that matchup over and over and over again. Uh, so, you know, I don't really mind that. But if you're telling me that means Caruso is going to be hounding Chris Paul up and down the court, who maybe has a little bit of a hurt shoulder, that kind of concerns me a little bit there because uh, we'll see if, 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 that, if that goes well. I wonder at some point, do the Lakers even go to LeBron on Devin Booker? Is that even something that you think that they would go to at any point in this series? No. I, no, I, I doubt it. I think they'll live. I think the Lakers would be happy if they have Schroeder and Caruso hounding Chris Paul and making his life difficult. They have guys like Kuzma and Wes with size on Booker. And then in pick and roll situations, they trap him um, and just force Booker to, you know, isolate. If you're going to beat us, you're going to beat us isolating, generating points for yourself, but not for your teammates. And we're going to shut down your pick and roll because something that we've talked a lot about in our, in our pre-series pod was a lot of the Suns role players are, finishers they're not creating their own shots at the rim they're not catching and, and attacking closeouts in a dynamic fashion some of them can Mikel Bridges can but a lot of those guys are more like catch and shoot or if the shot's not there pass it back and we'll we'll run another action so if you right. can shut down that pipeline that offensive engine with the ball screens 
at least we feel that puts the Lakers in a, a pretty decent situation given the personnel they have to defend 1v1. And if it looks, I mean, Wes Matthews might look like he's getting burned every now and then, but if, if he can do like an okay job and Booker can end up with 30 points and two assists and, and the pick and rolls are, are negated, the Lakers probably win those games. I do think those Suns wings really exist on a spectrum. That's kind of interesting. Like you were talking about Mikhail Bridges. He can attack closeouts. We didn't see the dynamic offense tonight. I think there will be games later in the series. Maybe he's, uh, he, he's terrified of contact at the rim, but he will attack a closeout and like shoot a 15 footer. Um, but other guys like Cam Johnson is a guy who I think his role dictated that they didn't want him to do a ton of that this year, but he can do it. He will do a little bit of it. And there's a difference between like a lot of the stuff that he was doing flashing to the middle as well. There's a difference in what even Cam Johnson does versus say Jay Crowder, who's just there. He's just going to shoot spot ups versus Torrey Craig. And and the reason I'm bringing it up is like Torrey Craig played three minutes. Mike and I talked about that. I think there's a reason for that. He has no spacing value to the Suns offense. And not to mention, he's, he's completely not a self-creator. He's just not going to attack a closeout ever. So I think, you know, some of those guys on the margins, like a Cam Johnson, can he attack a closeout even like 20 or 30% of the time versus just taking the spot up three may make some difference for the Suns offense on the margins. But it's going to be a test for all these young guys and, and just what they're able to do. Yeah, and, and I'll turn it back to you guys. So assuming we go into game two and the adjustments are more on the Lakers end than the Suns end, given what we saw in game one and the Lakers start trapping ball screens. What do you think the Suns would do to try to counter something like that? If, if they are seeing, if Chris Paul and Devin Booker have to get the ball out quickly. And in a lot of those instances, it's to like Deandre Ayton catching the ball above the free throw line. And he has to go operate a four V three. Do you, how do you feel in those situations? This is something we've talked about feeling. That's like, yeah, a horror if movie that's the situation, right there. You just described great. a yeah. <laughs> what, redacted what said, redacted and redacted. Yeah. It's it's actually gone. I think trapping has actually gone better for the Suns this season than I thought it would. Uh, I, in my opinion, I think the Suns are a little more afraid of of switching, and and I generally they struggle a little bit with uh, bigger guys switching on to Devin Booker, and that scares me a little bit more. Obviously, Chris Paul's a different story in that scenario, and that's the dynamism of that duo, right? Devin Booker maybe can't do that. Chris Paul can, so you have to find ways to do different things against different guys against the Suns, which if you force decisions on defense and stacking decision upon decision, that's where you start to get breakdowns of defense, and that's how the Suns are able to score so consistently. Uh, so I'll be honest, it doesn't. It, it's... If it's DeAndre Ayton making those decisions on offense, that scares me a little bit because, look, he's in his third year and uh, his goal, uh, his role, I should say, is pretty small on offense. It's not quite what you would have anticipated. One, what he was projected to be in the NBA, which is this sort of offensive center who struggles on defense. He's not. He's basically the opposite of that. He's a defensive center who struggles on offense. So if you're making him try to make decisions in space, it's a little bit scary. If you can find ways to get sort of flash cuts from Mikhail Bridges and get Mikhail Bridges in, this, in the middle of the floor to catch that ball and then make decisions in that area, I'm a little more confident. And I think if they start trapping consistently, I think you they might even go to Mikhail Bridges being the primary screener in a lot of those plays so that he can catch the ball in more of a Draymond-esque position to play make for himself and for other people. So I think there's some interesting adjustments that they could make there. They toyed with that a lot towards the end of the season with Mikhail Bridges setting a lot more screens. So, you know, I'll be honest, that's, that is a better situation for you guys. And I think the Suns have, have smart ways to combat that. And uh, a lot of it will come down to at that point. And I know this is not great analysis here, 
whether or not they hit threes <laughs> in that scenario. It's, like if it's they, always true. So yeah. like, don't feel bad about saying it. Yeah, <laughs> It's just like, you have to make a lot of threes. If there's two, if there's two guys on one guy, there's probably going to be guys open on the weak side, uh, you know, at the three point line. So if they're able to, to find those guys properly and even set that secondary screen to, to make sure that they're open, they're going to have to hit those shots in order to, to even compete in that scenario. Keep in mind the other thing, and and, and I know for a fact, Tim, that you heard us talk about this, is that three-guard lineup, we didn't see it tonight. Um, I do think that's that's still a possibility, but it requires that Chris Paul is like at least 80% of his usual self um, in order to get that. But if you are seeing a lot of trapping on book on the perimeter, bringing campaign in, I also think campaign did not look good tonight, but I think that might just be some jitters, and and I assume he'll get his feet under him. Um, having another guy out there on the perimeter who can create some sort of dynamic offense, if you can get a quick pass out to him, is is something they may go to eventually. So I still have my eye out for it. Okay. Yeah, we'll keep an eye. I heard that on your pod. Immediately looked up the numbers, and I was like, hey, they don't use this lineup that often, and it hasn't they, really been like a world destroyer or anything like that. Right. But I they can only, see what you're going for in this matchup. Yeah. They only used it a couple of times but the couple of times that they used it, it was very much a down the stretch in the season, like a March, April, uh, uh, I guess it's May, like an April, May type thing. And it was like, hmm, mm-hmm. I wonder if they're doing this for a reason. It didn't just feel like it came out of nowhere. So. Until, yeah, some until, experimenting for the playoffs. Yeah, until really the last month and a half of the season, uh, Chris Paul and Cameron Payne hadn't played together basically at all. I mean, they really, really were, were focusing on with Devin Booker. Look, people, people commonly talk about Devin Booker has point guard skills and he does, but the Suns do not want him to play without a point guard on the floor. They really only play him with another point guard. So whether that be Chris Paul or Cameron Payne, uh, you can get away with that. But with, with Chris Paul being the point God that he is, you can get away with having maybe one less ball handler on the floor and put Javon Carter in on those minutes and they can have him just sort of spotting up behind the three-point line or, or Langston Galloway, who's just a flamethrower from the three-point line. Uh, but until really recently, and supposedly it was Chris Paul that told Monty Williams, I want to play with campaign. That's what started it, and they started more experimenting with that. So there's not a ton of minutes just with those two guys sharing the floor at all, much less that three-guard lineup. But I still think it's something that they become a lot more dynamic if there's a lot of trapping, just like you said, if they have another ball handler in that, in that role. Mm-hmm. And if the Lakers do go to those traps and then the Suns are able to win those four V three battles and force the Lakers to adjust again, or, or maybe they also deploy, but I think the, we might see more switching from the Lakers moving forward. When 80s at the five, they yeah. just start, start switching things in those instances. How do you think the Suns approach that? Are there specific matchups, you know, Chris Paul or Booker versus somebody. If we have 80 at the five, we'll say LeBron at the four, we'll say, uh, either Kyle Kuzma or Wes Matthews out there guarding uh, Devin Booker. And then you have Schroeder, two, two of either Schroeder, KCP, and Caruso out there. Hmm. I saw What I saw today is Devin Booker calling for the guy to screen that he wanted that guy on him, right? <laughs> and I imagine there'll be a lot of that. Maybe not a lot of traditional DeAndre Ayton setting the, setting the screens in those specific scenarios if you don't want AD. I, I want to ask you guys this, though, just watching this game. It, it didn't, I don't know how to put this. It didn't seem like the Suns were very afraid of Anthony Davis's defense uh, in a way that I would have anticipated that they were going to be. So you would have had to play defense for them to be afraid of it. Right. But it, it what I found interesting is it, it appeared to be part of the game plan to attack AD in ways that I didn't ex- expect them to be uh, attacking them. So when you, when you're projecting forward, I mean, maybe he'll be better at the five and maybe that's how you guys are viewing this here, but 
I don't know. It doesn't scare me as much. Anthony Davis in his current form doesn't scare me as much as I thought it would, and it, and it probably will later in the series, admittedly. Uh, but I don't. I don't know. What do you guys I mean, think? you you just have to consider the guy you saw two weeks ago still to me at least because he had some games as well that and it wasn't just the Suns game that he looked like prime Anthony Davis winning plays on both ends of the court trying to get the Lakers out of that seven spot. So it's not just like the last week he's looked awful to me. He's he's been like this all season. He's had great games where he looks like dominant Anthony Davis. And then he has games like this where he floats around and we all drag him on Twitter. And, you know, like I'm sure he gets it in the media room as well. Right. And he makes weird quotes. But then you generally see him come out and dominate a team the other the next day. So I'm not predicting that. But I just think this is about this, the floor for Anthony Davis. Right. Too. Oh, it has to be. It, it yeah. has to be. Yeah. And this is not, yeah. I, I said on our half of the, like just us two, we're not expecting Anthony Davis to continue to play like this. Tim, can you give me your um your switch? What's your switch lineup again? Uh, list out those five guys. Uh, so 80 at the five, we'll go LeBron yeah. as our power forward. And then you have, we'll say Wes Matthews, uh, Caruso. Caruso and KCP. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, uh, no, I just, it came too fast before, so I couldn't really process it. Look, there's no easy way to get like easy offense there. Right. I think there are a couple of smaller guys. I think something that's underrated about Devin Booker actually is like, he's just, he's not a modern two guard in so many ways. He's a good post player. So if you can get mm-hmm. some some opportunities against either KCP or Caruso for him in the post, I think in in a half court offense that's already kind of like the points per possession are going to be lower. You could get some some offense out of Booker there uh, through that. But at the end of the day, I know it's not great analysis. Again, when they switch everything, you just got to hit difficult shots. Chris Paul and and Devin Booker have to live up to what we want them to be as ISO scores. Like the Suns have utilized guys like Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges as like ghost screeners in, in the past. Like they have enough spacing value that they feel confident that they can kind of run out to the wing and do that. But you got to hit your your top talent has to look like top talent. It, Devin Booker certainly yep. looked like top talent tonight, but he has to sustain it. It's also an offensive rebounding thing in that case, right? Because when the Suns get a switch, if Anthony Davis is on the perimeter, they're not giving it to DeAndre Ayton against the small, the smaller guy in that scenario. They're, the goal is to attack the big with guards because we're a dynamic guard team, right? Or wings. Uh, in that case, DeAndre Ayton understands that his role is entirely the offensive rebounds. So if you have a smaller guy on DeAndre Ayton, you're going to attack it, probably shoot a mid-range shot. Like that's what the Suns tend to do. And that usually means that the big is for, far enough out of the paint that DeAndre Ayton, in, in, in uh, what we hope for, right, is an offensive rebounding scenario. Uh, for DeAndre in that case. And, and look, they they were very close. AD, uh, I should say Andre Drummond, can't really call him AD when, when talking about the Lakers, and DeAndre in, in offensive rebounds in this game. You take Drummond out of the game, th- look, that that go- that advantage goes to DeAndre and It really has to in order for the Suns to take advantage of those switches. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm surprised to hear that. And I think going after some of our bigs with your guards, it could make some sense. And then you have that advantage on the offensive rebound, offensive rebounding side of things. I am terrified of like Alex Crusoe or KCP needing to defend DeAndre. And I think if you're going after like LeBron or Wes or AD on the perimeter as a Laker fan, I feel, I feel pretty good about that. Like that's not going to generate four V threes. That's not going to generate corner threes or layups. Maybe you, you know, it's going to be a lot of mid range. I would, I would think. Whereas if you get the ball to Aiton and he can just like bury one of our guards 
that's probably going to generate some pretty good offense consistently. Like, in that don't case, get me wrong. There, there will be possessions like that, but it's just a question of how much help are you going to send? Because right. Aiton's mm-hmm. going to get that ball, and I can tell you he's, he's even in the regular season, often flustered. He's instantly looking for his offense. Like, he's trying to get rid of the ball as soon as possible. It, he just yes. doesn't play with the with a certain level of comfortability in that situation. Yeah, that's it's, it's entirely <laughs> about what he does before he has the ball in that case. If he can get deep yep. enough, the Suns will trust him in that scenario. But if the if the Lakers are able to push him off of his spots, they're not going to do it. In, in fact, they might even run another screen and try and switch it back <laughs> in that scenario. <laughs> they're more likely to rescreen than they are to feed him in the post if the Lakers can push him out. Uh, you know, he's got to be deep. He's a finisher, as you said, even more than any, any other player on the team. I, I'd say he is. And you know, if Anthony Davis is locked in, the second that pass goes in, he's flying in there trying to block shots. So yeah. it, it may cause some some trouble for him. And so speaking of the post side of things, on the Lakers end, something we've talked about for a lot of the year and showed up again in this game is the Lakers throwing the ball into the post, everybody just kind of standing still, and then watching LeBron or AD, you know, jab, step, jab, step, you know, mm-hmm. do, do all these moves that don't actually go anywhere as the defense gets set and then slowly brings some sort of double team or a dig from the perimeter or sending someone from the baseline to uh, be there. If you turn baseline, all of that showed up in this game. There yeah. were, I think six times the sun sent help only one time the Lakers in any sort of organized fashion tried to counter it. And then in the regular season matchups, 75% of Lakers post-ups were met with extra help from the suns and the Lakers barely countered it at all. That to me is a huge issue. And it's something Frank Vogel talked about post game is them, needing to get better at that if the lakers are able to generate some true 1v1s for anthony davis by countering and cutting and screening how does how can that change this series and do you think the suns if the lakers are going small do the suns consider going small to match that or is their best bet to have eight out there at all times or as much as possible to succeed in the series I mean, I, I, my first thought is I'd rather have Aiton on AD that's, than anyone else. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I that's mean, my first thought too. I could, I could potentially change my mind. It's just like charge only played 11 minutes tonight for a reason. You know, those guys, you might, you might laugh, but if we're talking about the sun's offense really quick, like we don't want Aiton in short role playmaking positions, but like charge and even Frank Kaminsky, they're pretty good at that. Like that's, that's why they earned the playing time that they did this year they give up so much on defense that it just hasn't. If you can have Aiton out there for 38 to 40 minutes, even in the situations you're talking about where you do continue to send help at, at, at AD and they successfully counter, I, I still, I, I think it's unlikely that we see a situation where, where Aiton is really played off the floor unless he's put in foul trouble. I think that's the only, that's the only way you see Monty. Like, I don't think there's an adjustment coming from Monty there. Maybe I'll feel differently if there's a close game to yeah. loss specifically because of this. But my instinct would to say there's no adjustment on our part coming uh, for the time being and and just let Aiton play through it. And he kind of just has to grow because this roster is not constructed in a way to really counter something like that. Like like yeah. adding Dario Saric in there instead and going small. I don't really see how that would fix the issue. I guess it depends. It depends what the counters are specifically. I mean, right? but if we something Sam and I talked about, and I'm sure you heard uh, Tim is what it took for the Lakers to win a title last year. I mean, obviously insane defense, but was some sort of otherworldly shooting by Anthony Davis from the mid range and from the three point line. His like his shot percentages went up dramatically in the postseason compared to the regular season. Now there are theories of that of why that happened, but I think in a lot of cases, if if it's DeAndre Ayton on Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis can't really bully him. I mean, people tend to 
underestimate DeAndre Ayton's strength because of the way he plays. That's that's my theory about it. <laughs> the way he plays, sometimes he doesn't always take advantage of his strength, at least on offense. But in defense, I think he does. And I just don't think AD can bully him. So if you can force AD to continue to really settle for jump shots, I think that's what the Suns will continue to try to do. Obviously, if Anthony Davis starts hitting the shots the way he did in the previous postseason, you're going to have to make some sort of adjustments. And maybe you put even Torrey Craig at center and you try to get up on him and force him to drive and see if you can get the help defense there in time. Uh, but I think to start out, they're they're probably going to rely on DeAndre Ayton's strength in that scenario and and see what they can do. Gotcha. Yeah, I would imagine AD. I would think in that scenario, like he's not going to bully Ayton. I think the they're just going to pick and roll would be speed. They're going to yeah. put him in the pick and roll with LeBron all day, and then flatten that ball ball screen, and then just make make them tag and get over to AD, like like get him downhill. Right. That's what we've seen is. Like the, the big adjustment from the Lakers within the screen games when that jumper's not working, get downhill. But they we just haven't seen him do it as frequently this year. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We've we've certainly we've seen a lot of flashes from the Lakers of like, oh man, this looks unstoppable. And right. then that play or that action will go away for a week. Mm-hmm. And then we'll see it three more times in a game and then it'll go away. So what cards <laughs> the Lakers choose to play in game two? <laughs> like we we don't I, I personally don't feel like I have a great idea of what that might be offensively whereas defensively Vogel and his his staff have usually been like predictable in a good way where like they find what's wrong and they make the adjustments and I feel like they'll right I feel pretty confident going into the next game that they'll make those adjustments on the sun side of things and if we think about you know how are we even here we're here because the Lakers were crazy injured for a huge portion of the series season if we said these two teams were playing in the first round most people would probably have guessed the the seeds might have been flipped from preseason now the Suns have played very well and like they've deserved where they are, but from an injury standpoint, moving forward and something I'm sure all four of us will be asked about a bunch for the next couple of days. And it would be smart of the Suns to really not share any more than they possibly need to and they for, won't. for game two is Chris Paul's status. <laughs> and if he does go out, what is, how, how can the Suns pivot? We've seen the Lakers, you Jesus. know, when LeBron's out, they play a different style. When AD's out, they play a different style. They've had to work on those styles due to the unfortunate injuries. Have the Suns had that portion of the season this year where Chris Paul's out, we need to pivot given yep. the person that we have, we play this different style or run these yep. different plays. What can that look like? Do you well, even realize what you're asking, though? Like, first off, like, how can we replace the greatest mid-range score ever with campaign? You know, like, what, <laughs> what am I supposed? What am I supposed Tim's, to say? Tim's out here, like, y'all remember last year? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, look. I first of all, I think he's going to play. I said this in in our first half of the episode. I think he's going to play. If he doesn't look exactly like himself, like Rondo, that's my theory. Hurt Chris Paul is Rondo essentially <laughs> heard Chris Paul, Chris Paul with one, one arm is, is yeah. Rondo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know, Mike, what, what do you think? There's what's the, what's the adjustment there? Uh, that's a disaster. I, I don't really know how to really preface that in any other way. Like, okay. It depends on the level of which that he's injured, right? If, if he's still, if he's still capable of getting that mid range shot off, obviously things change dramatically. If the handle is not tight, I mean, that's a disaster. Then you have to, uh, look, the Suns ran a bunch of plays over and over and over again to get the ball out of Chris Paul's hands and into Devin Booker's hands in the middle of that third quarter when it was clear that Chris Paul was not quite right. And that worked, I think, specifically because of the spacing. I talked about it in the earlier part of the podcast, but they had guys really deep in the corners and Chris Paul was a foot and a half behind the line. And it was just Sarich and 
Booker in the middle of the floor and Booker was doing the thing that he does, which is just fake cuts all around and then take that dribble handoff from Dario Saric in a position that's sort of advantageous for him. And look, they'll do that over and over and over again. But to me that there's an easy, there's options to adjust from that, that make it a little easier. Oh, here, I'm going to say it more honestly, a lot easier to game plan against the Suns if Chris Paul is not a scoring threat. So, you know, it, Obviously, in our, in our from our perspective, we hope that he's a little healthier than he was, and and it was just some sort of a stinger that can sort of hurt you for one day, but tends to come back after a while. At first, I was worried it was a dislocated shoulder, like it clearly was not that. So we'll see what it is going for. But something that we told Tim, and this is for you, Tom, before we started recording, is the Suns don't don't even tell the truth about injuries in the regular season. So no matter <laughs> what you hear, <laughs> no matter what you hear in the postseason. It's not going to be true. They just, they say whatever it it's not. Don't read into it. Understood. No, I mean, I think that's, that's a big thing, right? Where you can guard Chris Paul in different ways than you could before. Right. Maybe they do say, yeah, we're going to run drop coverage to take away that lob and focus more on Aiden and just make Chris Paul hit these middies, just make you beat us in scoring. And I mentioned to Tim, I know regular- by a million campaign floaters, potentially that's <laughs> what we're looking at. Look, that's good for us. But mm-hmm. yeah, I was just telling Tim, I thought it was interesting that even in the regular season matchups, Chris Paul didn't score a lot in yeah. these games. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's part of the Vogel defense, just making him make the right play yeah. and let other guys beat you in those closeout attacking ways that you just mentioned. Campaign floaters uh, for president 2024. <laughs> <laughs> like, can I say this though? When the Suns played uh, the Lakers at the end of the season, they were not running their normal offense. I just want to say they were sandbagging in that game in, in some interesting ways. And I think if you go to AD at center, they start to involve AD more in that. And I think one of the advantages that the Lakers had in that specific game is AD sort of off the ball so often in that game defensively allowed him to be that sort of free safety that really kind of fucked it all up for the, for the Suns in the mid-range and took away that mid-range shot for Chris Paul in ways that I don't think that um, has happened in other games for Chris Paul because he just gets to it so so easily, better than I ever thought before he was on the Suns. Uh, so I do wonder if there's things in there that the Suns can do that would still allow him to get that shot off. But look, if he's not healthy, it's not going to matter. <laughs> yeah. I, I, something I imagine the Lakers might look to do is they'll run. Uh, it's kind of like ice coverage where the guard defender in a ball screen jumps out in front of the screen so that the the the, the ball handler can't use it. He has to reject the screen, basically. They might try to do that in the middle of the court whenever Chris Paul's trying to drive with the hand that works. I forget which hand it is, but there were portions of the game where he looked like the the Monstars had like taken his talent and he just (laughs) couldn't dribble anymore. So if they're going to, the Lakers call it weaking a screen, if they force him to use, you know, go the way where you can't dribble, (laughs) that might negate those actions completely as well. So I'd keep an eye out for that. That's something Vogel time time and time again has turned to in the playoffs. Yeah, if, I mean, if you take away Chris Paul's ability to use angles on screens, you're taking away his biggest superpower. I mean, that, that's like what he's really great at is finding the right angles. I have one very serious question for you guys before we before we go here. Uh, do you think the Lakers play with the same rules as everyone else? Wow. You <laughs> is, saved this the, a, the, is this a COVID question? It's a lot of questions. And it's serious. I actually wonder what you guys actually think. So... I, I have a serious, I'll, I'll let Tom speak in a second, but I have a serious answer <laughs> on the, the COVID piece of it. 
No, no, beyond that, just everything. <laughs> like literally well, everything. I'm first including going that. to address. Including I'm that. First, address, okay. address COVID first. Address I'll COVID address first. the COVID piece first because LeBron, so LeBron violated the protocols. Looking at the verbiage in like the rules, the, the policy, it says, you know, violating these protocols can result in, I, I forget exactly what it says, you know, uh, penalties from a fine up to fine with suspension. We've seen a couple players, including uh, KPJ, for what is who's he on Houston? Um, and mm-hmm. Ben Simmons, Joel them. Embiid. Yep, several of those Kyrie guys. Kyrie Irving didn't either. Ky- Kyrie, the Kyrie's the other one I'm thinking of. Uh, I don't know about the two uh, 76ers guys, but the other two went to like indoor events with people who were not vaccinated, and it raised the level of exposure and potential for those players to spread the virus to other staff and, and players. And I see that as a more intense violation than a player going to an outdoor event. Just the indoor outdoor is a piece KPJ of KPJ was suspended for a game though, right? He was. Like he was forced he was. to sit for he went a game. To a, he went to a strip club. Yeah. Uh, and, and then looking at like, okay, strip. So indoor, outdoor, and then strip club where people aren't vaccinated or had to provide proof of testing to get in versus an outdoor event where everybody there had to provide a negative test or vaccine proof. So in those ways, forget the team he's on. Yeah, it's it's a lesser version of a penalty within that same policy. I don't know if we have uh, in it, another example, it was their precedent set where another player did a similar thing where it was outdoors with people who were vaccinated, uh, but I guess they themselves were not vaccinated where they did get suspended. <laughs> because in that situation, I said, yeah, like the, the Lakers aren't playing with the same rules, but if it's, it's too late. what LeBron I got the sound clip. Did, I think every precedent <laughs> is a more extreme version of a violation. That's what I'm going to fall back on. You sound like a crazy person right now. <laughs> I'll just tell you that right now. <laughs> I appreciate theories, uh, conspiracy theories yeah. are, are better meant for uh, franchises that uh, maybe draft the best player available. Yeah. So Every of not following the rules. This Listen, is, this, we're, we're talking to the people on the one spot in the country that like, don't believe in like uh daylight savings time. <laughs> Every, your own time zone. I respect that actually. I respect that. Actually. I yeah. respect that. You mean it's better. Uh, Every fan base will defend their team the way that you just did for the record. So there's nothing, there's nothing weird yeah. about what you just did, Amen. except that every other team thinks that you don't play with the same rules as them. So look no, guys, fine. for what it's worth, <laughs> I will take the high road. I really don't care what, what you think about it, Tim, um, until uh, if we lose game two or game three, then I will roll out the conspiracy theories. myself. So, but as long as we're winning, who cares? We're good. Before we get out of here, I think we should all share our Twitter handles just so all the Lakers fans know which accounts to go to so they can bookmark a bunch of these tweets we're about to be seeing in the next oh. <laughs> good idea I'll, I'll start first my name is mike my last name is pronounced v hill it's spelled vigil so if you see me on twitter it's mike vigil i got a bag on my head my uh twitter handle is at protected pick i do not recommend that lakers fans follow me for the record so if you do that's fine i don't recommend it so you're gonna have to be judicious with the mute button my guy <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, I'm name, not afraid to block. <laughs> okay. My name is Sam uh, S. Cooper Hoops. Please don't find me on Twitter. I think I was saying something today about how Anthony Davis only has a Disney World ring, so that should give you an idea of the type of content you'll get. He can uh, only shoot when there's no basis. crowd. Yeah, I'm so glad <laughs> yeah, exactly. we exposed you to so. our audience. You you can find me on but, Twitter. But, so my but, name is. T- yeah, good. Go ahead. I was going to say, my name is Tim. Uh, on Twitter, I go by Cranjus McBasketball, which is, n- none of that is my real name. It's it's a name from a bit in the show Impractical Jokers, which is fantastic, and you should go check out. Um, but you can find me on Twitter at Tim underscore NBA. 
Uh, yeah, my, I'm Tom. You can find me uh, at Creative Destroyer. I tweet about the Lakers and, you know, tr- probably try and roast most of half the league because we do. I mean, you should tell them we host the Lakers Exceptionalism podcast. Like, yeah. What What do you expect from us, boys? Exactly. Hey, guys, I hope you uh, I hope you lose. You. Likewise. <laughs> Dirty ass Chris Paul. Mother- this was this <laughs> was good, though. You know, we, both of us need our own space a little bit, I think, but depending on how long the series goes, we could all come back and, and kind of check in on each other. Maybe a week from now, we'll see, we'll see what's going on. So yeah. Yeah, good luck to you guys. Uh, not really, but you know, I have to say it. So. <laughs>